This is a Purple Line Express. Hi, I'm Brian Buckley, Buckley Redner Design Resource, a partner in a multi-line rep agency here in Chicago, representing some of the most recognized and top brands in the contract furniture industry. Uh, today, we're in the Andrea World showroom at the Merchandise Mart on the 10th And floor. what I think we need to evolve to is client, you know, kind of capturing a new clientele that our industry is not natively good at right you now. You just don't get a chair. You get a chair and a matching table and a stool. This is Merchandise Mart. Welcome to the Wisendell Weekly Wrap-Up, where we talk about architecture, design, and everything in between. Uh, I got a real special guest this week, and go ahead, you can introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Shay Ubeler. I'm the uh, co-founder and managing partner of Cake. Nice, nice. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Shay is an industry veteran for the A&D uh, industry. And uh, yeah, so how did you start? Like, where, where are you from? Just a quick background on yourself. Oh, man, it's almost surprising to hear I'm an industry veteran. I've always thought of myself as the young guy on the street. And I guess uh, that can't be true in your 20 years in now, right? <laughs> no, no. Uh, my background, I actually got plucked right out of college into this industry with, obviously, I didn't major in furniture sales like anybody else, but uh, got brought into it by a company called OFS. And OFS is actually a manufacturer in Southern Indiana where I'm from. Okay. Uh, and I kind of knew the family uh, growing up. They knew I was graduating college. They were looking to start a unique program that uh, that still exists today, which is really cool. Um, but they asked me to come in and start a sales training program, and it got me into the industry out of college, and I, I started my career with them. Nice. So OFS started a program? or So this is kind of neat, and I wish a lot of manufacturers did this, and I know some of the bigger ones do. Um, but OFS started a program where they were looking for people that, that they wanted to kind of build around and give experience into an industry that just so many people don't know much about. And out of college, I started with the manufacturer where I had maybe three or four months of manufacturing experience. So I literally worked in inside their uh, manufacturing facilities. And I like to make the joke that I'm pretty sure they took a loss on me inside that part of the job. <laughs> yeah. But a little bit uh, later, I got into project management and customer service and inside sales and then eventually outside sales, um, and which is really where I kind of found my niche, I think, for the brand. And after about a year of internal training, uh, I was assigned to sales territory out in uh, eastern Pennsylvania. So that oh, was wow. my first job inside the industry. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. long were you out there? out there? I've never been to Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, eastern PA, right? Uh, yeah. So I kind of covered everywhere else besides Philadelphia, which okay. was, you know, that's a good place to cut your teeth. It was amazing. The, the, the territory really accepted me very well for having some young guy just out of college who didn't even know what a credenza was, you know, when he started. <laughs> Uh, I can remember being in my first dealer presentation. They asked if OFS was an open line, and I had no idea what they were talking about. Nice. And I was like, oh, I'm obviously going to learn a lot from you, as hopefully you're going to learn something from me along the way. Yeah. Um, but I was out there for one year. And during that time, I'd actually met my now wife, who was also working in the industry, and she was now living in Chicago. Okay. And so I lasted one year out there before I was given the option of move to Chicago and get married or maybe none of the above. <laughs> so uh, I then had to leave OFS and I started as the first direct sales rep for a, kind of a newer brand at the time called Izzy. Okay. And if you remember the Izzy yeah. brand and yeah. uh, they're not around today, unfortunately, but uh, I moved back to Chicago and started as their first direct rep inside the Chicago territory. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Izzy was around for a bit. I do remember that. I don't know. Was Melissa there for some at some point? Uh, Melissa was now Hendrickson's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she was. Yeah. yeah right? totally. And there's yeah. so many industry veterans uh, yeah. that, that, you know, my business partner at level reps, Corey Johnson was there. Amanda okay. Schneider of Think Lab okay. uh, came nice. out of those ranks and, and a few others that um, 
man, we had we had a great time. Yeah, we, they had we developed a, a fun culture. Yeah, uh, we had a good run. Yeah, you know? that's awesome. We were grateful for that opportunity. That's awesome. And then after Izzy, is that when you went into kind of your own business? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I actually learned about the business of independent repping uh, while I was at OFS, and okay. OFS primarily had independent rep groups at the time. And uh, part of my job at the very tail end of that time was to travel around the country and maybe give some of the independent reps some training from the factory, but also to collect some feedback from the independent reps. What, what can we do better as an organization and bring some of that information back? But the funny thing to me was I was all OFS. This is all I knew in the industry at the time. Yeah. So I couldn't believe that someone didn't want to only buy OFS products. <laughs> so <laughs> to come out and meet some of the uh, independent uh, you know, rep groups and business owners and understand their business model a little bit further and how they worked with a number of different manufacturers and they kind of created their own brand. Mm-hmm. I really did fall in love with that as an entrepreneur. Nice. Uh, and eventually I just kind of knew that that was something that might be in my future. Yeah. So uh, after a five-year run at Izzy, uh, Corey Johnson and I left the brand in order to go start Level Reps at the time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Nice. Um, yeah. And as just take a quick moment here to shout out uh, Buckley Redner, who's also a uh, rep group who reps Andrea World. So thank you for the host uh, for today's episode. So then uh, COVID hit. Right. You guys had a good run at the level, you yourself, and obviously the level's still around, but uh, COVID hit. And how did that uh, change your perspective? Oh, on my that? gosh. What a, what a moment for everybody in the industry, right? When yeah. the, the minute that all of the manufacturers go dark at the same time. Yeah. So wow. as a rep group, I believe we had um, nine or ten people on staff and there was no clear end in sight to what COVID was and what it was going to do to our industry and how long it was going to last. Mm-hmm. Um, level reps at the time, um, just like so many other entities was like, well, working from home, right? Yeah. We, we need to start getting tools for the work from home community and things like that. And we immediately started pivoting towards how do we hand select a handful of products that of the manufacturers we represent at level to come together in a way that can hopefully enable our industry to deliver products to the work from home community. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I would say is, I mean, we and everybody were pivoting in that direction. And the one thing that I was personally realizing was we didn't have a great mechanism for delivering kind of a frictionless work from home program to the clients that were looking for it. Mm-hmm. And I think we put our back into that the best that we possibly could, uh, all while trying to triage our business, right? To keep right. payroll intact and to try to manage our way throughout this pandemic and what was coming at us. Mm-hmm. But realistically, that is where Kate got its foundation. Mm-hmm. So Kate got its foundation uh, coming out of kind of that, you know, where there's crisis, there's opportunity. And yep. what does that mean for us as we decide to maybe diversify our business a little bit? or to look at clientele that we currently aren't touching or approaching as a rep group or with our manufacturers. And while I would tell you that generation one of cake to where gener- you know, generation two or 2.5 of where we are now is, is incredibly different. Yeah. It was just our opportunity to be entrepreneur and to see what else we could do within the industry to try to solve some problems. Yeah. And and how did you come up with the name Cake? Or how, how does that? Oh, wow. I got this question yesterday at a webinar. I thought I answered it poorly because I actually <laughs> gave the real answer versus the uh, the, fun, you know, the the answer that I think the marketing team would approve here. Um, I remember one of the co-founders at Cake, a good friend of mine named Abby Leopold, was talking about the idea of there's a, another part of our industry that we can evolve to, uh, the digital space that we can do so together as an industry and create just just better better environment for us uh, or the next generation of what this industry could become. And she kind of compared it to you know, the Wizard of Oz and, and kind of feeling this next 
opportunity of what's on the other side of the of the, you know of the rainbow, if you will. But um, immediately, my business partner at, at Level heard about this, and he started looking up character names of the Wizard of Oz. And believe it or not, there's a character named Cake in there, and I bo- I'm almost sure it's one of those flying monkeys. By the way, yeah. <laughs> so that's the not aspirational, <laughs> you right, know, version right. of what Cake is. Is that, the, is that the answer you gave yesterday on the webinar? It was. Okay, and I gotcha. think it went over exactly like this one will too. By the way, <laughs> but but long story short, what we then became also was a little bit of that's been on Simon. Uh, you know, what is your why? Mm-hmm. Right. What is your why as a brand? And that's really with cake spelled with a Y C A Y K E. We yeah. like to talk about what our why is and yeah. what we're trying to do, what we're doing within the industry. And that's probably the better marketing answer that, yeah, the, that, that, that people are looking for. Man, this is the, uh, the, our last guest, uh, Brett Taylor, he brought up Simon Sinek as well. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we were trying to rack our brains around who, what the, si- we knew it was Simon. We couldn't figure it was la- figure out his last name, but, uh, yeah, for for those who don't know Simon Sinek, and he does that presen- great presentation on the it's why for, for business, for sure. There's so many uh, great TED Talks and, and, and YouTube surrounding Simon that um, that I think the industry needs to continue to look at yeah. and, and ask themselves some good, hard questions every once in a while yeah. just in order to evolve ourselves right? yeah. and make ourselves better. Yeah, and, and you know, I guess taking that a step further, I, it, it, some of the change is hard fundamentally, right? Like I feel like if, you, if you're asking those tough questions to yourself as a company, it's hard to, and you, you get faced with a difficult answer or response and some companies need to change. It's hard to actually make that change. And I feel like being an industry disruptor, I guess it, it, maybe we could consider um, cake being it, I don't know. Do you consider it to be that way or? How yeah. Do you-, you know, I, I consider cake to be a disruptor in the fact that I don't think it really exists today, yeah. Okay. you know, and uh, cause I think there's positive disruption and I think there's negative disruption. Right. right. And, and I think that our industry tends to think of disruption as a negative, yeah. um, which is fine, which is understandable because there's a lot of businesses who are infringing on our way of life, right. Yeah. Within our industry. Uh, that we have to pay attention to. There's some really interesting brands that we blog about that are, you can't blame them for doing what they're doing because they're seeing opportunity or gray space that our industry creates for folks that are outside of us, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that sometimes that's a positive disruption, sometimes that's a negative. But when it comes to us at Cake, you're absolutely right. I mean, to go to a manufacturer and a dealership and even rep groups that, you know, that I've hosted even with like Buckley Redner is an example, to kind of show them the importance of where our industry is and the health of our industry, who are the players who are benefiting and, and pivoting and, and, and kind of understanding what they're doing. Yeah. And to kind of challenge ourselves to look in the mirror and say, are we going to stay the way we are right now or are we going to evolve? Mm-hmm. And we show a really interesting graph um, in our presentations at CAG that kind of shows that our industry, for the, for the most part, is a no-growth industry, unfortunately, right? When you look at our, our sales tracking history as an industry as a whole, the stuff that we report to, uh, to BIFMA, if you track our sales numbers as an industry as a whole, I don't think you'd be very impressed. You know, we, we don't grow by hundreds of millions of dollars year over year. And a lot of industries do and a lot of industries have. And, and to be frank with you, a lot of that comes from adopting digital as, as, as a key component of your growth. Uh, we show at simultaneously to our industry growth, we show what happens inside the e-commerce world, the B2B and B2C e-commerce world inside of a category that's just labeled office furniture. And I will tell you that the two, the two lines are not congruent. (laughs) One is vastly outpacing the other. Wow. So when we talk about disruption, I think that disruption can also just be a change of mindset. 
yeah. and, and really just a uh, self-realization as an industry of what we can do to start not just acquiring and, and uh, market share, which I think our industry is really good at, mm-hmm. right? I think mm-hmm. that what happens in our industry a lot, and maybe this is a tangent, I apologize. No, keep going. <laughs> is we shuffle the chess pieces around the board, Yeah. right? We acquire a company, we acquire a competitor, we hub and spoke our model a little bit, which by the way is a perfectly good model to follow. Mm-hmm. But we're basically still talking about the same clientele. And what I think we need to evolve to is client, you know, kind of capturing a new clientele that our industry is not natively good at right now. And that's what our, our cause is at Cake. Yeah, nice. And, and the, I mean, COVID obviously provides a new clientele, right? With, with the hybrid model, with the work from home or the, mm-hmm. the, the way that workplaces are now uh, being outfitted. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the obviously million dollar question as far as workplace and, and what you see? I do that? have a very specific opinion on that, but it also comes from just the dialogues that I've had with dealerships, manufacturers, and really just your, your, your neighbor, you know, mm-hmm. about what do you do for your, your, your tools or whatever. I would tell you that um, I, I think it was in a business of furniture article a couple of weeks ago that more or less spoke to the idea that our industry should expect to more or less contract by, I believe 10 or 15% due to the hybrid work model or due to the work from home model, which, which is fine. But I also don't think that that's a reason for our industry to wave the white flag and surrender that client. I think that we need to be creative as an industry about how do we target folks uh, that are work from home. Uh, I think a lo- uh, the bad taste in our mouths usually is driven by the idea of the onesie twosies that I think most people just assume the work from home model is. Yeah. But our industry, you know, whether you're the design community or the dealer community, we're the ones who service Citibank. We're the ones who service large multinational clients and, and, and have large contingencies of employees that are looking to go hybrid. Um, we're the ones who make the products, right? We're the ones who have the monitor arms and the task chairs or the, you know, anything that kind of outfits these spaces. We just need to provide them with a different mechanism and a different strategy that will enable a work from home strategy to still be successful and allow our industry to participate in that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they, you're, you're absolutely right. Those are still, they, they still work for Citibank. They still work for these companies, right? Why, why not uh, market to them in a different fashion, right? It, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. So, do you think we'll ever go back to a five day work week? Uh, if I had that answer, <laughs> I don't know if I'd be doing what I'm doing, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but right? no, I, I, I would tell you that I think there's so many great, uh, minds on that topic. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated by all of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that we'll ever return to a complete five day work week just because we've seen other models now be successful. Yeah. And, and I do know that a big thing for th- this conversation has a lot to do with, you know, evolving as a, as an employer. Mm-hmm. Right. I do think that a big marketing tool, recruitment tool is flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I see value there personally, gotcha. right? Yeah. I think that we've all learned the pros and cons of the, uh, of the work from home yeah, <laughs> scenario. Yeah, definitely. I, I do hope the office survives. I do think it will survive. Yeah. I just think that we all need to come together to kind of show the path towards an effective office space yeah. and what that means to, to, to our end users. Mm-hmm. So, so you got the name from cake with the Y or the monkey, either one. And then, (laughs) so the web, I guess, talk a little bit about like the, um, the platform, if you will. Sure. Sure. Um, there are a lot of folks out there that have kind of shown us the way. And what I, what I've noticed is whether it's a Herman Miller professional site or 
Steelcase Marketplace or there's a sit on at work from home program. A very similar platform and mechanism, which is not that unsimilar to like what a Shopify account is, um, is really what's showing almost like this frictionless way of transacting products to the folks that are going to find us in a digital space instead of natively inside of our industry, right? So what we're trying to show here is the best practices of those that have enabled a B2C type uh, strategy within their own business and how that's evolved even within our industry. We're trying to show dealerships around the country. We're trying to show mid to small manufacturers. We're trying to empower rep groups to start thinking creatively and entrepreneurially about what what strategy makes sense for you. Um, We're not here to say, give us your products. We'll put them on our common platform and create a marketplace. We're trying to enable people to say, does my quick ship program make sense here? Should I look at creating spec suites for the broker community um, that, it, that allow them to start filling up office spaces more creatively mm-hmm. uh, to maybe a different clientele that's out there? Um, there's just so many unique strategies that have come to light whenever you provide the mechanism and you provide best practices and, and different ideas that you've heard of. And then let the really creative, great people of our industry kind of adopt their own strategy and then Mm -hmm. to see it kind of grow. Yeah. Nice. And and when did you guys hard launch or officially launch? Well, I would say that Cake V, you know, version one that we were referencing before was shortly right in the middle of that pandemic. You know, so we're looking at about two years ago. Uh, I would tell you that, uh, you know, my former life as as a rep group principal, I couldn't kick the idea of wanting to be more involved, you know, mm-hmm. with, with this strategy. I, um, I enjoy large, complex strategic conversations uh, that, that exist in the industry. Um, I enjoy finding the gray space, mm-hmm. uh, the, to use a term from a friend of mine that, that kind of says, you got to look for the gray space opportunities and capitalize on that. Um, and what is the gray space? Gray space, you know, I guess is a loose term that that is uh, that says that as disruption happens and as um, some some new ideas come into the marketplace, look for the opportunities to change and capitalize on on those new ideas. And even if they don't, you know, fit classically inside of the usual boxes that our industry has, people will evolve, right? Businesses evolve, and entrepreneurs, you know, and creative ideas tend to take place. And, and we kind of call that capturing the gray space. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, and, and again, it's a, uh, it's a little playing outside the lines from yeah. time to time, but it's also uh, just a lot of fun. And I think that's really where disruption is, is classically happened. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a, uh, I would say Weisendell is in a 2.0 totally. moment too. And, and, and I think that it's interesting if you think about the, the versions or variations of, of the way businesses change you know you you have to adapt and you have to be able to willing to to try new tactics like you're saying definitely and and what's great about online platforms things like this podcast and things like um your platform is that it can be national right like it doesn't have to be local which i think is yeah we all kind of joke and say wherever the internet stretches right yeah exactly exactly we're not confined by territory boundaries and things like that yeah yeah uh, time, right? Time, time is always the biggest constraint, right? You can only travel so far from San Francisco to New York and mm-hmm. <laughs> back, back to Philly. But um, so, so where do you see the, uh, I guess, cake evolving to within the next, you know, five to 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I do know, or I do believe that there will be 
kind of a digital renaissance that's coming into our industry. And I don't mean that in the e-commerce form alone by any means. I do believe that there are going to become tools, design tools, specification tools, RFP tools, things like that, that technology is going to enable. And, and what I mean by that is getting the information of the product, um, you know, whether it's, a, you know, anywhere from a task here to a furnish and a, you know, furnishings and a, and a finish. I think our job, you know, my previous job as a rep had a lot to do with giving the designer, the specifier, the dealership, the information, right, as a way of communicating, as a way of understanding the product category to make, you know, to see if this was the right product for their client. Um, the digital platforms are evolving. Mm-hmm. And, and I would actually say really rapidly from what I can tell. And I think the transparency into the product and uh, to help design firms make really educated decisions on what products are right for the, for their client. I think that's, that's coming very fast as a matter of fact. And I think the digital community is going to evolve there where design firms are going to be empowered to make really great decisions on behalf of their client. And no longer do I believe the, um, the RFP goes out where everybody is filling your favorite product and let's see what sticks. I think that will go away, right? I, or at least over yeah. time. Yeah. I, don't th- I don't think the idea of an RFP with alternates accepted or will necessarily go away because that's also where the client and the design firm get, get exposure to other products that they might not have thought of. Yeah. But what I'm thinking is coming is the ability to compare and contrast products and to get, uh, get I guess, uh, access or availability to products that we've never seen before inside mm-hmm. this industry mm-hmm. or inside this territory or whatever that is. I think that's coming to the design community very soon. And I'll be very excited when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, you know, you talk about uh, other companies taking on some of the, um, I guess, roles of the designer. I know a big within the past, with recent years, I, not, not only within recent years, let me say a handful of years. Uh, you know, the dealers have really taken a, on a lot of role as, as far as like the designers sending them a lookbook or sending them kind of aesthetic. And then the, the dealers kind of putting together their own sort of, of uh, proposed furniture package. Right. So that way, the, the designers obviously are uh, crunched with fee, crunched with time. Yeah. And furniture is always like, you know, fuck, excuse me. Fuck, we don't have enough time for, <laughs> for furniture. Well, usually that's we just, say that, Felix. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, we only behind closed doors. In yeah. the meantime, we say we'll gladly take this opportunity. <laughs> right, to exactly, yeah, exactly. Right, right. And, and do you think that that's, um, you know, I guess the Cake platform, will that change or enhance that too? Or yeah, I don't think Cake will be alone, right? I, yeah. I don't want to you know, sound like we're, we're going to be the only ones trying to, trying to help solve for this pain point. Um, my goal, our goal should be as a, as, as a collective industry is to get this information that's, that's, you know, non-biased, right? That is transparent, that is searchable, sortable, and available 24-7 globally mm-hmm. in the hands of specifiers. Now, keep in mind, specifiers are the design community, but they're also the dealer community, right? Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. are the turnkey design firms. There's, you know, corporate real estate's getting more involved here all the time, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The point to it is, is that, believe it or not, all of the information to do what I'm talking about is already available. Mm-hmm. It's just not compiled and sorted and then displayed in a way that our industry references it. Mm. So think about it. Like if you're a manufacturer, you know, every little bit of data point that you, that you, about your product 
but we just that's not native to how we market in the industry. Right. Right. We don't we don't talk about the you know, point of origin of a product because maybe that's not what our our, our clientele asked for. Right. We would talk about finishes and ske- you know skews sizes mm-hmm. and price points. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that we will evolve into a, a space that so much more information is available and sortable, and it'll allow us to make good decisions in the moment and not as a byproduct of the RFP process or necessarily waiting for the rep to come in and tell me more about it. And then we, and then we see if there's an opportunity to play, we will evolve into a digital space that will allow all specifiers to make great decisions. Mm -hmm. And it'll be really interesting to see what that does for the manufacturers, the reps and the dealerships, et cetera, to continue to evolve with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and can you talk a little bit about the, the digital asset or the heavy lift of getting um, your digital assets ready? Oh, the digital asset readiness. Yeah, Yeah. the digital asset readiness. You know, that's kind of like a call to action, right? That's our call to action that says manufacturers, it starts with you, right? right? Um, We, the reps, we, the dealers, we, the design firms, uh, we react to the information that you give us. Um, And currently, like I said before, most manufacturers already know all of this information about their products. They just don't organize it and disseminate it in a way that our industry digests at Mm -hmm. this point. Mm -hmm. So uh, getting your digital assets ready really just means understanding what what you'll need from your product information to then enable you know, these e-commerce platforms to take place or these um, ecosystems that we're trying to create a cake between dealers and manufacturers to happen in a frictionless way. Um, There are a lot of industry consultants that can help with this, uh, cake being one of them. But that being said, it's more a a call to action for the manufacturers to start evolving how they market their products in in a digital capacity. Yeah. And and do you see this? uh, I know people throw on this word, but do you see the metaverse helping or hurting any of this stuff? Oh, that, that unknown thing of a metaverse, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you ever tried it on? Have you ever, have you ever done the VR, the Oculus? I have done the VR Oculus. And okay. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I think there's so much to, to learn and, and to understand about where AI is going to take us and yeah. the metaverse is going to take us as an industry. Um, man, talk about everything that it touches corporate yeah, right. real estate space to, to product, yeah. to, you know, interaction, communication tools amongst each other. So I think our industry, uh, as a great first step, we can, we can, we can make little, little, uh, moves towards digitization a little yeah. bit, yeah. but man, if we're, if, uh, <laughs> if the rest of the tech community sees the metaverse as a, as a massive opportunity that they're throwing hundreds of millions of dollars into, yeah. we as an industry need to at least be aware of what this Absolutely. is and how do we respond. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I have an Oculus and uh, was with one of my friends in it, and just the possibilities. I mean, the ideas were just going like crazy, mm. right? Seeing all the all, all the opportunities for furniture, not only furniture space, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see all that evolving. Well, if Zuckerberg decided to change the name of the company on behalf of uh, paying attention to the metaverse, yeah, <laughs> I, think, exactly. uh, I think we should all pay attention to that. <laughs> Maybe the digital world sees some value there, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, and I guess, uh, are you guys uh, able to um, highlight trends or data from like different markets? Do you, are you able to see that as uh, of right now? Great or? question. This is, that's, a, that's a perfectly great question to start asking yourselves, right? Because... What's interesting about the existing platforms inside of the B2B, B2C e-commerce space 
is who's capturing the data, mm-hmm. right? The tech community evolves around data for the ability to make decisions and, and, and marketing and, and placements and stuff like that that is so non-germane to what we as an industry do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would tell you that my call to action towards dealerships and manufacturers in regards to their cake platform is not only enacting your own strategy, not only enacting your own products and, and price points and things that might be good for you and your new client base that you're trying to capture, but just as importantly, capture the sales data, mm-hmm. capture the client data. Yeah. The minute that we take people from our websites to someone else's website, we large, in large part, we actually lose the client data. So how yeah. do we as an industry follow up with them? Yeah. You know, how do we go back and ask them again? I mean, I, was, I heard a comparison earlier today that was all about we don't even give them the ability to leave their shopping cart you know, with products in it before they transact. So we can't even follow up to see if they're still thinking about it, you know, yeah. placing this order and things like that. And it was just totally true. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you, there's an opportunity for our industry to learn what to do with data. Um, that's another thing that I'm learning a lot about right now, which is, hey, we might capture data on a, on a cake site or on a Shopify site or, you know, for whatever Herman Miller regurgitates to us from Herman Miller Marketplace. But what do we do with that data? How do we weaponize that data? How do we create new business opportunities from that data? And I think that that's a really great exercise for us as an industry to start going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, data, data, data analytics and data data analysis Mm -hmm. um, definitely need to have a bigger role, I think, in, in, in companies, right? And, and even if it's freelance, even if you had someone on retainer to look at the data, provide them with a data set, and then they could articulate a strategy. I mean, that's... You know who does this incredibly well is a good friend of mine, Amanda Schneider. Okay. Right? So yeah. talk about research-based, but there's only so much you can do with the research and the data unless you digest it, understand it, and then mm-hmm. convert it into a new tool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I would tell you that absolutely, right now, our industry runs on BIFMA data, which is self-reported, which mm-hmm. is interesting in itself, uh, and then sales data. And that's really what we have to make our decisions on for all the millions of dollars that we spend as an industry inside of sales and marketing. Yeah. So capturing client data and, and, and like I said, kind of understanding it, digesting it, and make it into something of a strategy, mm-hmm. it, it just becomes so, so much more of a useful tool for us. And does she, does her team uh, at Think Lab, by the way, mm-hmm. um, do they capture it just off of survey data? Or is it a good question for her? Because yeah. I think that she engages the community to gather those research data points in a, in a variety of ways. I'm curious, yeah. And, yeah. and oftentimes it's based on, you know, I, I believe who, who do we go get that information from and how are they willing to participate in something? Right, exactly. But, you exactly. know, I, I think that the industry learns a lot from, yeah. from folks like Amanda, especially if you can come at it from a neutral standpoint yeah. and see yeah. how you can get better as a, as a company. Yeah, I held a, uh, um, a dirty laundry event through the IEDA web. web um, I was IEDA VP. A membership back in 2015, and I held a, a, an event called Dirty Laundry where we surveyed all of the um, IIDA body and uh, talked about furniture, talked about uh, real estate, and had some panelists up there. But it was great to get the community feedback, right? I think we, we sold out the event, and people just wanted to hear that, that feedback, right, and having that platform. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, so many times we as an industry look at, look at ourselves and look at the people that we, that we capture to, to try to get best practices, right, to try right. to learn something. But I think that if we start journey mapping based on our end user – instead of maybe just our reps or mm-hmm. our dealers or our design firms, there needs to be a mix of both, mm-hmm. right? Because our, our industry's customer is that end user. 
yeah. in, in many ways. So all the things that we do in between are the enablement and the and the and the pathway to get us there. But we really need to keep continuing to look at this through the consumer's eyes. I I, I kind of talk about this a lot in our presentations where there is such an opportunity for our industry to evolve on the day to client relationship. Um, we as an industry are very good at going after the sell mm-hmm. uh, and uh, getting ourselves in, into the uh, into the space of being awarded. And the minute that we're installing, there might be one or two industry people at that installation, just uh, nothing else to make sure that everything is covered, but to thank the client for the opportunity to work with them. But yeah. even after that, we in large part move on to the next opportunity. How do we grow and how do we start understanding how we can service this client base better unless we're learning from them and growing with them after, after that first day of installation? Yeah, we, can, we certainly help them in restacking or ordering another chair or something like that. Um, but I was learning from a good friend of mine, Chuck Saylor at DesignVox about this, where we as an industry need to evolve into how do we become an extension of our clients' businesses. And a big part of that happens after the install and in month two and year two and year 20. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my mind right now, I think that the, the best practice, not the best practice, maybe the worst practice, is that we get to the idea of installation and we run off to the next project. Mm-hmm. And we need to evolve as an industry to really mm-hmm. make our industry's value happen in day two, not just pre-award. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's that extra effort, right, that goes a long, long way. Um, but that's also where your data is, right? right? Your data is also captured in how our products are being used and what were yep. the spaces that were interesting. I think design firms are very good at this. And I yeah. think corporate real estate is doing a great job of starting to understand and digest the space and, and understand the usefulness and utility. And, you know, I think that the manufacturers, and especially the big ones, are probably good at this. But I think the rest of us have a long way to go as far as really being a good steward of our clients in the day two capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, just to kind of... Uh, wrap things up what about day two for the rest of the year and any good outlook for goals or anything personal both personally and and for cake <laughs> <laughs> personal goals yeah i mean uh I, i've got this uh overwhelming lift to try to talk our industry that doesn't like to change into the idea of the digital <laughs> space so small small personal goal there you know uh, i will tell you uh i think that the the message of the digital space and and just the data behind it and the importance behind it is, is black and white. It, it, it's right there in front of us. And it's just a matter of if our industry is ready to change collectively and inclusively together to go after that, we'll start changing that hearts and minds. And also, I think that we're going to start continue to feel the outside elements influence us to get there, mm-hmm. to, be, to be frank with you. Consumerism, right? It's just kind of driving us to be there. Um, but I would tell you that I've kind of changed my mindset into getting small wins every day instead of trying to move this entire ship all at once, because that's an, it's an incredible lift. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm excited. I'm inspired. I'm inspired. Yeah. I'm inspired by what I'm hearing and, and the connections that we make. You're, you're a great example of someone yeah. who kind of latched onto this concept and wanted yeah. to tell the world about it. So, Definitely. um, other than that, I would just tell you that I think our industry has got an opportunity, if nothing else, just to reinvent itself. Mm. And that opportunity is right in front of ourselves. And the more, you know, the enablers of the world that we find to help us get there, I think we're going to get there faster than we think. So nice. I'm very opportunistic and I feel very good about it. Awesome. And where can people follow you? Where, where can people look up the Yeah, so cake.shop, cake C-A-Y-K-E, remember our Y, shop, is uh, where you're going to find us uh, in the uh, social media world and obviously on our website and things like that. But, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm encouraged by getting this message out into, into the world. I, I continue to look for really fun ways that we're going to start 
adding more value inside of what we learn to the different parts of the industry that may not think that maybe digital touches them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is going to be an opportunity for us all to continue to have some fun conversations and see what's next for our industry. Cool. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you for joining. And uh, I'm sure we'll follow up next year and see how things are going. So. Uh, great. I hopefully have a success story to talk to you about, but I can't tell you how much I there appreciate being here today. Awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, have a good day.